My name is Neil Pope, and I, I actually was a district superintendent for the Western New York District of the Wesleyan Church. Some of you go, oh, that's that guy. Um, and others of you, I'm meeting you for the first time. I served here for 10 years, and then Joey Jennings has been serving in that about nine years ago. He took over those reins, and so it's so great to be back. The reason is Joey Jennings was to be here today, and he would have uh, preached this morning, and uh, he called me middle of the week, and he said there's a kind of an emergency situation at one of the churches, and I know exactly what he means by that, and he needed to be there. And so he said, rather than make Dan kind of change his plans and do whatever, he said, maybe you could just go down and share. And uh, I said, absolutely, I'd love to do that. And so today, I'm going to uh, share with you. I talked to Dan a little bit about where you've been the last month or so, at least, have been on the Holy Spirit. And uh, he and I together... Be- we're talking, and I had some ideas, and, and uh, guess what you're going to listen to today? Another message on the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you there's a Spirit Week sign-up out there in the foyer, and you need to uh, sign up for that, and I'll try to do that at the end of this message, when, just before the benediction as well. I apologize today that this will come off like a little bit like a shotgun. Uh, I'm amped up on coffee. That's one reason. The other reason it's that kind of a message, I want to talk to you from John chapter 3 and verse 8. And if you have a Bible, you should turn to John chapter 3 and verse 8. And we'll get to that in in just a moment. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, may your Holy Spirit help me. May your Holy Spirit lead us, draw us to yourself. Some already know you, some need to know you. Whatever that is, Lord, may you be right in the midst of this time and may you speak your word today. May you go far beyond my feeble words. May you speak directly to us. Uh, Help us to understand not only that the Holy Spirit is there and what the Holy Spirit is, but the Holy Spirit wants us, wants to invade our lives. I pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said, oh, nice job. This morning we begin by looking at the words of John chapter 3, verse 8. This verse occurs during the conversation between Jesus and a guy named Nicodemus. You've heard of him. Nicodemus was a Pharisee of the ruling council of the, of the Jews. And he came to Jesus and he came to him by night, kind of in secret. This Pharisee's just might wonder about him coming. And that's when Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus just did not understand that concept. And so Jesus explained that in verse 6 that flesh must produce flesh. Speaking of the human birth. But only God's spirit could give new birth in the realm of the spirit. Jesus then added, This word of explanation is found in John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The wind of the Spirit. The first point is the wind of the Spirit. I want to talk about that. I want you to Pay special attention. To, there's two words in John 3, 8 that you need to pay attention to. They both actually are pneuma, the phrase pneuma. It's a Greek word. There's one 
phrase wind, or one word wind, and the other word is spirit, and they both come from the Greek tense of, uh, uh, of called pneuma. And depending on the context, in other words, what that is trying to say, it can mean, pneuma can mean three things, breath, wind, spirit. Breath, wind, spirit. In this verse then, the same word, pneuma, has actually two meanings, wind and spirit. And that will make very much, uh, it will get into your mind very much as we go. Now wind, we'll start with that. Wind is a, a particularly good symbol of the Holy Spirit. Wind is invisible. It's invisible. By the way, I think there's a note-taking guide in your bulletin. I forgot to tell you that. and Hopefully you can keep up with the shotgun here. But wind is invisible. It cannot be seen, though it may be experienced in varying degrees, from a slight breeze to maybe a real heavy uh, wind or even a destructive force like a tornado or a cyclone or something like that. The wind is also unpredictable. The wind that blows from the north may blow from the south tomorrow uh, or from the east or from the west. And, and who's to say? Maybe it won't blow at all. It's unpredictable. It's also uncontrollable. The wind, the wind is totally free of, of our, of us. It just, it's the wind. It just does what it wants to do. It's uncontrollable. And it's also universal. I've been around the globe. Had that opportunity many times to be around the globe. And the wind's over there as well as, as it is here. The wind is global. It's everywhere. It's universal. And so the wind describes the Holy Spirit of God. It too, the Holy Spirit of God, it, it too is invisible. The Holy Spirit, it's been said, leaves no footprints. I like that phrase. It leaves no footprints. It too is unpredictable. No one can say for certain where or when God's Holy Spirit will, will invade. Unpredictable as the wind is beyond man's control. In the same way, no one can control the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you don't already know that, is God Almighty. That's the Holy Spirit. And His presence and His power is ultimate, amen? It's ultimate. And then the Holy Spirit is absolutely everywhere. His work is not limited to a country or a people group or even a denomination. It's also universal. It's everywhere. And just as you cannot catch the wind in a bottle, so it is with the Spirit. You can't do that. He comes. He comes as He will. And He manifests Himself in different degrees and in different ways. And as the story of Nicodemus demonstrates, think about that Pharisee. A Jewish Pharisee gets touched by the Holy Spirit so much that he goes and sleeps at night. Who do you think drew 
Nicodemus. The Holy Spirit. And no one can, can predict when the Holy Spirit will invade a human heart. No one can predict. Let's talk about the blowing of the Spirit. So we've talked about the wind of the Spirit, now the blowing of the Spirit. Here's the scripture that I'm sure you've, you've heard or read, Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. It's talking about Pentecost, but more importantly, it's talking about the visitation of the Holy Spirit upon and the beginning of the church. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Jesus had died 40 days later, Pentecost. They were waiting in the upper room, you know this. They were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Imagine that. Wow. It finally came. God poured out his spirit and they sensed it. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and all of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Acts 2, 1 through 4. As that small band of disciples waited and prayed there in Jerusalem, four things happened. First, there was a sound of a violent, rushing wind that just filled the house. Tongues of fire rested on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they began to speak in other languages. The Greek word here is a word called glossolalia. Actual known languages is what that means. Languages that they should not have known, could not have known, but now they know those languages. I mean, that's miraculous. That is a manifestation of God's spirit coming upon them and intervening in great power. Wind, fire, Holy Spirit, languages. Wind, fire, Holy Spirit, languages. Wind, fire, Holy Spirit, languages. Later, Peter preached the gospel. On that day, shortly thereafter, he preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people were saved. And the Christian church, as we know it, it was born right there. Note the sequence again. Wind, fire, Holy Spirit, power, preaching, conversion, conversion, redemption. Why does the wind come first? Why must it come first? Because the Holy Spirit begins his work by blowing through each heart, preparing them for a further work that is to come. And so it is with us today. We need the wind of the Spirit to blow through our hearts and, and our churches. We need it. Replacing fear with faith. Replacing anger with forgiveness. Replacing doubt with hope. Replacing anger with love. Replacing judgment with grace. Replacing bitterness with trust. Replacing pride with humility. Replacing envy with kindness. Replacing cowardice with courage. Replacing 
patience with perseverance, replacing harshness with compassion, replacing selfishness with generosity, replacing sin. We need the wind of God. We need it. We need it. And we need it to blow through our midst today. We need it. All of our work, all of your work will come to absolutely nothing without God's Holy Spirit to bless it and to enhance its efforts. We can plan We can organize, we can strategize, we can publicize until our heart is content. We can meet and discuss and ponder all of the alternatives. We can use all of the wisdom that we can muster up. But unless we are changed on the inside, unless that Holy Spirit blows to us and through us, nothing will really change. And our work will mean absolutely nothing, or at least very little, for the sake of the kingdom. In Ephesians 3.19, Paul prayed that his readers might be filled with the fullness of God. Let me say that again. He prayed that his readers would be filled with all of the fullness of God. That's the goal of the Christian life. That's the goal. That's what is supposed to be happening, that we would be filled to the fullness with all of the fullness of God. The word fulfilled there in 319 is the idea of being dominated by something. That's what it means to be filled, to be dominated by something. If you're filled with rage, well, then rage dominates you. If you're filled with love, well, then... Love dominates you. If you're filled with joy, then on and on we could go. If you're filled with God, then who dominates you? Dominates you. Dominates you. God does. Filled with spirit, dominates your life. Being filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians 3.19 pictures the total transformation. It's a transformation of the human personality by virtue of the presence of God, power and the presence of God in your life. This is an amazing thought here. Go with me. To be filled with the fullness of God? That's amazing. That's awesome. Young people, listen to me. Something that can happen to you, happen to me. Age 12, I accepted Christ, but it wasn't until later that I actually felt the Holy Spirit come upon me and empower me and fill me. That was an incredible moment in time, and it's been going on ever since. But it was something tangible, something special. It was more than, than me accepting Christ, though that is such an important thing. More than me being saved by Christ, there was something special about the Holy Spirit. Coming upon me, a healing person. Jesus is the same day and yesterday. He comes upon us. I hope today that some preacher boys or girls sitting in this audience, you may not even know or think about, but I want you to really process and think, is the Holy Spirit really 
dealing with me? And could I actually be used by him to touch this world for Christ? Absolutely. Good. Don't shy away from this truth. As believers, we've been created to be containers of Almighty God. Think about it. His desire is to pour his life into yours or into mine. So much pouring into us that we are actually filled with him. Three, the power of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit. We must change and only God can change us, can he? Let me let you in on a little clue. We are all sinners, including me. And clear that up right away. Sometimes people say, oh, that pastor or preacher must be holy and I'm not, or I feel like he's better than I am. We're all sinners. We cannot come to God bearing bearing our sins, however. If we come our, with our sins, well, then he's going to turn us away according to the scriptures. Here's the Bible's testimony. In case you're wondering, is that really true? Well, here's what the Bible says about it. Humanity apart from Jesus Christ. Blind. Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. Captive to Satan, 2 Timothy 2.26. Humans cannot escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Condemn, John 3.18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has believed in the name of God's one and only, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Dead. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, Ephesians 2, 1. John 3, 36b tells us that we're bound for hell. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Helpless. No one can come to me unless the Father who sends me, sends me draws him, John 6, 44. Hopeless, without hope and without God in the world, Ephesians Without understanding, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. A whole sermon could be preached on any of these verses, and Dan, you might want that outline at some time, but uh, taken together, they actually show us something, don't they? They show us the plight of those who are without Christ. They are blind, yet think they can see. They are dead, yet think they are alive. They are captive, yet they think they're free. They are helpless, yet they think they can do absolutely anything. They are without understanding, yet they think they know everything. Bound for hell, yet think they're going to go to hell. It's important to remember something, church. It's important that we remember this. We all were once in the they category. We need to remember that. Take uh, Apart from Jesus, that is our natural condition in this world. Jesus changed all of that. For that is what we want. Now through the power of the Holy Spirit, We have a converted condition. 
Once we were blind, but now we can see. Once we were condemned, but now we're forgiven. Once we were dead, but now we are alive. Once we were captives of Satan, but now we've been set free. Once we were bound for hell, but guess what, folks? We get to go to heaven. Once we were helpless, now Christ lives in us. Once we were hopeless, but now we have Once we were without understanding, but now we have the mind of Christ. And all this comes because of what? Because of the Holy Spirit. Because of what Christ did, opening the way for that Holy Spirit to dominate. When Jesus told Nicodemus that the Holy Spirit is like the wind, he meant that God's salvation slash redemption breath was blowing across Israel's wicked sinful land, and God's salvation slash redemption breath also blowing upon that Pharisee, that Nicodemus on that day. It was the Holy Spirit that drew him to Jesus that night. And there Jesus told him that he was sent, that Jesus himself had been sent by God to, to draw men and women and boys and girls to Christ save them from their sins. You know the words he spoke. I bet you could quote them. They're found in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have what? Everlasting life. Jesus was so clear. He was so, so challenging. Nicodemus, Nicodemus, Nicodemus. Have you personally responded to the Holy Spirit? Redemptive. What should we learn from this? Well, a couple things. First of all, the truth should humble us because it means that our salvation depends on what? Depends on God, doesn't it? Not going to church, not not reading your Bible, not doing spiritual things. It means to be in contact with God and let God save. Should humble. Second, it gives us great incentive to pray. Because even the most hardened sinner, and probably some of you have them in your homes or in, in your workplaces, you know them, perhaps you're married to them, but even the most hardened sinner may yet, he may, he may yet encounter the saving power of the Spirit. It ought to make us bold. It ought to make us patient pray and as we care and as we share. Knowing that after we've done our part, after we've done all that, guess what? We can just kind of trust that the Holy Spirit is going to do His part. He's going to bring conversion work to somebody that we prayed for. Number four, desire for the Spirit. Desire for the Spirit. Finally, this truth of the Spirit being like the wind ought to make us hungry hungry for the Spirit to blow upon us, hungry for something called it. I'm going to read you a little story, and that little two-letter word, it, is going to mean something. Here's the story. A man traveling on business was really excited about his relationship with the Lord. He was staying in a town where he didn't know anyone, but he was determined to be regular in church and uh, wanted to do that during his stay. So he looked in the hotel directory and he found 
that there was a church not too far away from where he was staying. So on Sunday morning, he got up bright and early. He showered, got dressed, did his morning devotions, ate breakfast in the hotel dining room. And as it got near for the time uh, for church to start, he walked down the street to the church building. That church building was impressive. It had stained glass windows, and there was this chorus of bells that were coming from this really tall steeple. At the door, uh, uh, there was a man looking like he had actually been uh, eating a lemon. Greeted him, gave him a bulletin. He retreated into the sanctuary, and he was just absolutely amazed at the beauty of the decor there. He found a seat up near the front. He was used to sitting up near the front, so he settled in. And it bothered him that not very many people were there. He figured the place might fill up as it got closer to time to start. The organist began a a dry-sounding prelude, and when it was finished, someone opened the church service with a very formal-sounding prayer. The congregation stood and began to sing several hymns, but nobody sang without any enthusiasm whatsoever. As it got time for the sermon, someone announced that the regular preacher was not there and that the sermon would be brought by a young man from the seminary several miles away. Everyone could tell that young man was a little nervous. Things got started kind of rough. Eventually, however, the young preacher relaxed a little and made an excellent point concerning the scriptures that he was preaching from. The visitor who was sitting in the front seat got excited, and he shouted a term, Amen! One of the deacons in the church came up beside the visitor and said, Sir, we do not customarily respond to the sermon in that way. Please refrain from such behavior. And with that, the deacon went back to his seat. Now, the visitor was kind of taken back by this response, and so he sat there for quietly for a while, but the young preacher was really doing a good job, and the visitor couldn't hold it in anymore, so he shouted, Preach it, brother! And the deacon... He came to where the visitor was seating again, and he said, Sir, I've already explained that we do not behave in such a manner in this church. Again, I'm going to ask you to please restrain yourself. The deacon then turned and went back to his seat. By now, almost everyone in the church was looking at the visitor. He felt very self-conscious, but again got to listening to that young preacher. And as he began to tell, that young preacher began to tell about a wonderful Savior that we have in Christ Jesus, the visitor got all excited again. And eventually he couldn't restrain his enthusiasm, so he shouted, Hallelujah! You know what's going to happen, don't you? Well, you know, the deacon came storming this time to the front of the church. He came up to that visitor and he looked that visitor in the eye and he said, Sir, just what is your problem? And the visitor said, I've got it. And I cannot keep it in. And the 
deacon said, well, you may have it, but you did not get it here. So there'll be no more of it in this. Folks, hillside, listen to me now. Some believers, some believers have it. When a believer has it, everyone can tell. When a believer does not have it, everyone can tell. Having it and not having it is absolutely obvious. It is always unique. It is always powerful. It is always life-changing. It is an awesome work of God that cannot be contained. It can't be harnessed, and many times it can't be explained. It is an absolute gift from Almighty God. God is its only those who experience it, life is so different. They are passionate. They are excited. They know what that they're part of what God is absolutely doing in this world. And likely, uh, and they want everyone to know about it. And it absolutely changes them. They reflect God and glory glorify God. They become a mirror, a holy mirror. From the inside out, they become. Yes, hillside, some believers have it. But there's also something I want to say, and I'm sad to point this out. Some believers had. They had it. Some have it, but some believers had you know, you can lose it. You may not be able to lose your salvation. You talk about it, but you can fall from letting Christ dominate your life. You can change. You can throw him off the altar of your life. You can take him off the throne and do that. And sadly, some people have done that. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your what? Heart, you know it. And there's one thing that I also know. A person who surrendered fully to Christ, they have it. And once a person has it, they live and they move and they have their being in Jesus Christ. Amen? Oh, Hillside, I've done my absolute best to speak about God's Holy Spirit and the amazing wind that is blowing across this great land. I've done my best to speak about it, to encourage your hunger for it. Won't you this morning, won't you this allow God to dispel the toxic fumes of unbelief and carnality, bring the sweet aroma of heaven right into your lap? Won't you allow that? To ignite, to reignite or reignite his holy fire in your heart, 
into the ministries of this church. How we need the fresh wind of the Spirit. We need to be changed, don't we? We need to be changed, and only God can change us, can He? He alone can wake us out of the spiritual lethargy. He alone can give us the power that we need to live this Christian life. When the wind of the Holy Spirit blows upon us, he clears out the cobwebs, doubt and disagreement. He cleans out the dirt of sin and compromise. And he fills us with an unshakable faith, faith, hope, and love. And he gives us something. He gives us the power to serve and minister in his name. Amen? I'd like you to stand with me if you would. Way back when I was in preaching school, they said said people should respond to such a message or any message you get. What does that mean to respond? Well, there's lots of ways you can do it. Have you come to the altar? Which, if that's what you choose, the altar is open. But sometimes it's good just to kind of let there be some silence and let people hear what they have heard. Talk to God. Perhaps maybe you've never asked Christ to be your Savior. You've never asked him ever to come into your heart, your life. Well, he can do that. It also wouldn't surprise me, some of us need to maybe make some changes in our life. Hopefully the Holy Spirit can do that. Some of us maybe need to really get in touch with him. Some of us have forgotten the power. I don't know. I don't want to color your kind of time God here's the prayer that I would have had you say with me just listen to it I'll pray it pray it wind of God blow upon us today Holy Spirit come upon us in a new and a fresh